Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Arsenal Women Arsecast on Arsblog.com season preview. That's right, the WSL season starts at time of recording in just four days' time. By the time this goes out on Wednesday, that will be down to four days' time because I just got my maths wrong. <laughs> um, but there we go. Um, seems to have come around very quickly, particularly with the unhelpful and unmentionable Champions League qualifiers that happened at the beginning of September as well. Um, we've got some listener questions to get through as well, and, and clearly that's that's something that comes up. But what I really wanted to do in this episode is do you know a little bit of a state of the nation about Arsenal and how they're looking going into this WSL season. It's Jonas Eideval's third season in charge. It's his playing staff. It's his coaching staff now. Without European football, I do think there's extra domestic pressure to deliver this season, and I think that's kind of right. But I really wanted to get um, an, an external expert kind of point of view on this as well uh, to get like, a, shall we say, like a more objective opinion on how Arsenal are looking. And to do that, I'm delighted to welcome Blair Newman. Blair is uh, an analyst and scout and content producer around women's football who you can and should follow if you don't already at the second ball on Twitter. Blair, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me on, Tim. Pleasure. Blair, um I, I just, before we kind of crack on with listener questions, which will go into a lot of these themes anyway, um, I kind of, I guess I wanted to start with, just to get it out of the way, <laughs> the Champions League qualifiers, which clearly did not go the way that Arsenal wanted. Um, and they have to deal with both the disappointment of not being in the Champions League this season and having a very weird pre-season where they're immediately thrown into high-octane high octane kind of games and then having to cool their pre-season down and then kind of spike it back up again um, just for people's info because a lot of people are asking. Arsenal did play Chelsea behind closed doors. believe they lost that game 2-0 um, last weekend. So again, <laughs> probably not really what Arsenal wanted. But your opinion, Blair, on both, I guess... What happened to Arsenal in, the, in 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 Sweden, but also, you know, how much of a caveat do you think there is on the schedule, and how much do you think, you know, Yenisaida Val and Arsenal should kind of take responsibility? Like, where where are the fault lines for you? Well, I think um, it's kind of the same as Manchester City uh, a couple of years ago because it was a similar kind of uh, post match sort of reaction in the sense of. When they lost to Real Madrid a couple of years ago, there was talk about it being so close to the Olympics and they didn't get a lot, enough prep time, they didn't have enough friendlies and this kind of stuff. And it's entirely valid because, you know, I don't think the schedule is ideal. Um, but I also think, you know, the problem it sort of comes from last season and finishing third and ending up in a qualification position in the first place. So it's kind of a mixed bag, I think. You know, part of it is just the luck of being in you know, a difficult draw and, you know, because I think Lynn Chopping and Paris FC is, is probably one of the tougher qualification draws Arsenal could have gotten as well. And also part of the problem is just um, what happened last season in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And and lots of injuries and clearly that's something that Arsenal are going to, you know, again, we don't really know where the fault lines are uh, when it comes to the injury situation, but they can't, they can't really tolerate a repeat of that. In terms of um, the summer transfer business, then Blair Arsenal have brought in five players: um, Kyra Cooney Cross, Alessia Russo, Leia Kadina, Amanda Illichstedt, and did I say Chloe Lacasse? I did say Chloe Lacasse. So who am I missing? Cooney Cross. Uh, Cooney Cross. Yeah, yeah. So, so five players brought in. 
Um, lost Anna Patton, that was expected. Manu Iwabuchi, that was expected. Kylan, uh, Kaylin Marchese going out on loan, that was very expected. Clearly, Hafaieli was not wanted or expected. That's the big loss of the summer. Where do you think, first of all, what do you think of Arsenal's summer transfer business and, and kind of where they stand going into this season? Well, I think um, Rafaela is, is the big loss, isn't she? Um, you know, she was such an important player for them at the back. I think Amanda Lister is a pretty good replacement as well. I think, to be fair, I think she's got great reputation. She's played for Sweden for many years. Really important player for them. Important player for PSG. So she's a, she's a good replacement. Um, and then I think Alessia Russo up front is an addition. I think now your forward line's probably as strong as I can remember. Um, I know I've not been watching women's football as long as you, Tim, but I think it's definitely the last few years, and this is the strongest forward line Arsenal have had. So, And I think Cooney Cross coming into midfield is a really kind of low-key, important addition as well, because I think that midfield was still looking a little bit undercooked before she came in. Um, and she just gives them another another playmaking option. And she, 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 I think she played pretty well for Australia during the World Cup. I actually expected a little bit more from her, given what I've seen of her um, previously at club level and in international friendlies. But she's a really talented young player. Um, really excited to see how she settles in. So I think Arsenal, to be honest, the summer window is a net positive. I think you're in a better place now than you were a few months ago. Yeah, yeah. And I think clearly there'll be players coming back um, as well. And I know Jonas spoke in Sweden about having almost the reverse of last season where we kept experiencing these disappointments of players being out. He was talking about a regular points during the season, we're going to have players back. And he talked about using the kind of morale for that. But we, we've asked for listener questions, Blair. And one of the reasons I really, really like doing these mailbags, it's a great barometer for where people are, where the fan base is, and particularly where their worries are, because that's what tends to come out. Like no, nobody asks the question, we're great, aren't we? Like <laughs> when people, <laughs> even if they think that, when people ask questions, it's because they have like a bit of an anxiety. And there have been, there, there's been a really distinct theme or a few distinct themes I've, I've kind of grouped together. Defence is clearly a big preoccupation for Arsenal fans at the moment. Arsenal lost Hafaieli, as, as you say. Leah Williamson is injured until at least the second half of the season. I think any prospect of seeing, quote-unquote, the real Leah Williamson next season at all is probably minimal, um, although we'll, we'll see her. So, you know, there, there's a lot of people kind of asking about defence. But first of all, quite a few people have asked about right back. That is the one area Arsenal didn't get a player and they said they wanted one. They've really only got Noel Maritz, who's a kind of recognised right back. Jonas has floated the possibility of playing Katie McCabe there. Must say, I, I don't like the look of that, the look or feel of that at the moment. But we've had some questions um, around that. So let me just kind of rattle through them. Uh, Clive at Clive PAFC. How did he get in here? Um, all about the right back podcast brother. Thoughts on how we roll over this here over the season. So other options at right back. Andrew Gambrill at Andrew Gambrill asks a very similar question. How do you see the rotation at right back playing out? An unbiased Arsenal at unbiased Arsenal to throw a bit more into the question. Arsenal have five midfielders in Little, Volti, Pulover, Cool, and uh, Cooney Cross for two positions and a dearth of competitive fixtures. Who loses out and could we possibly use one of them to experiment at right back? So overall, looking at the squad and clearly the weaknesses in the right back area, what are, what are your thoughts there? Is there anyone maybe other than Katie McCabe that you can see playing there? I think Amanda Lestet's played right back a few times at international level. So I think the last year's Euros, she was Sweden's right back. So she can fill in there. It's not a natural position. And I think she, you know, if, if you were to play a Lestet at right back, it's not going to be the same going forward as, you know, having a, a Maritz or a Wienreuter even. Um, I think out of the midfield is probably, I mean, Pulova played right wing back during the, the summer, didn't she, for the Dutch? I don't think, I don't know what you thought about that, Tim, but I don't think that was an ideal sort of experiment. Um. Yeah. No, but <laughs> to be fair to her, I think with the Netherlands team, and we're recording this just a few hours before England play Netherlands. Like having they have also play Sharida Spitzer at right centre back. 
And so that area for me of the Netherlands defence is very weak because you've got two players who aren't defenders. I do kind of wonder if you played her at wing-back with Illestet there, for example, maybe it could Mm. work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Spitzer probably requires a bit more help around her, doesn't she? But I think think probably of the midfielders, the one that would... Like if I was just looking at attributes, the one that would fit that take that box most is is Kuni Cross because I think she's got the energy and the speed and also the the crossing as well because I think her her delivery her crossing is really really good. It's probably one of the her best qualities. And obviously when she's playing in midfield, it's it's early balls she's putting in and you know. But if she's playing right wing back, it would be balls coming in from the wing. But I think she could she could do that. It's just not it's not ideal. I think if you're playing a back four, um, probably the natural solution is to shift a centre half across. I think Jonas would have to be feeling really confident in in one of those young midfielders to put one of them at, at right back and ask them to do, you know, the, the the defensive side of that job. As you say, if you move to a back three, and you've got Illister and Kudina uh, and Wubben Moy then you've got a pretty good base there and you can be a bit more experimental, a bit more attacking with your, your profiles out on the wing. Um, you could probably even play Beth Mead there a few times when she's back. So, you know, at that point, it doesn't it, the defensive side doesn't matter as much. But just in a back four, I would probably prefer to shift uh, Illustre across. Um, I'm not a big fan of the McCabe idea at right, at right back just because she's so left-footed. And, you know, not only is she going to be having to adapt to defending 1v1, um from the different body position, but she's also going to be going forward and then having to cut inside and cross rather than go on the overlap. So it's, it's just not ideal. I think it's the dynamics would not play out well, I don't think. Yeah, and in the Paris FC game, she kind of came on at right back, I think immediately gave the ball away because she was cutting inside and coming into traffic and Arsenal immediately changed it. It was actually Wubben Moy who went to right back um, and I wouldn't mind betting we'll see that. But it's interesting you... And uh, we had Anna Harrington on last week and she spoke about how Cooney Cross had played as a winger um, when she was younger as well. And she kind of highlighted her crossing. And and actually, um, well, we've had a lot of questions about um, whether Arsenal will use a back three. And you've already mentioned it twice. <laughs> so I'll rattle through. Well, there's, there's two questions, really. One from Yana uh, at Yana DW underscore. Do you think Jonas will go to a back five? and maybe triple over as a wing-back. Defence seems to be the main problem at the moment, and we won't have Leah and Laura back for a while. And Max, at Max, underscore RXD, WAN, found it interesting to listen to Thomas Frank on Monday Night Football last week talking about how Brentford play a back five against the big teams and a four against everyone else. Do you think Jonas would do something similar this season? And this is a question I'm really interested in. I think Arsenal will use a back three. They've done it already. They did it against Ling Chirping for the last 10 minutes. And I think they'll see out games like that when they have to. But what about the idea of Arsenal using a back three against teams like Chelsea and Manchester City in the league? Yeah, I think it's it's not a bad shout for, for these sort of one-off games. Um, you know, it's definitely something you can rule out. I think usually managers, when they're not feeling totally confident in their defence, if they're coming up against like a really powerful forward line like Chelsea's, you know, and you're thinking, well, we've got Kerr to deal with and, you know, Fran Kirby's runs from deep or, or Macario or whatever, then maybe we'll go to a back five and just try and defend first. Um, in terms of, is it a formation that I think Arsenal can use regularly? Well, I mean, firstly, I'm not a big fan of rotating between four and three on a sort of week-by-week basis. I don't know. I, I think you have to be really, really... You have to really know what you're doing to do that well. I don't. I don't see a lot of great teams changing week by week um, their their back line because it dis- I think it can disrupt the cohesion. And you know, players are defending in slightly different spaces, and you know, maybe not the same partnerships. You know, centre half is probably one of the only positions left in football where partnerships are really, really important. You know, midfield partnerships and strike partnerships aren't really a thing anymore. Um, so it's not something that I would experiment with too much. Um, in terms of is it a system that fits Arsenal, I'm not 100% sure because we've kind of already touched on the right-back and, and the right-wing-back situation, what would happen. And I don't think there is a natural right-wing-back in the team. I mean, on the left, you've got McCabe and Catley, who are both obvious. I mean, McCabe's best position is probably as a left-wing-back because she can do the defensive side and she can attack on the overlap, attack space, which is, I think, where she's at her best and put really dangerous crosses in. 
I think on the right hand side there's an issue because you know if, you, if you're an opponent and you come up against Arsenal and they're playing in a back five you know the, there's no wingers so you know that there's not so many options on the wing. And also one of the problems is, you know, if it was Maritz at right wing back, say, um, you're not so worried about her putting a cross in, I don't think, because I think Maritz is more of a runner um, who combines with people, gets to the byline, maybe cuts it back. But I don't think she's putting in really wicked deliveries. Do you know what I mean? So I think probably teams would just start to say, well, we'll let Arsenal have it on the wing. And it would make things a little bit more predictable for them. And actually one of the things about Arsenal's play, which I really like is, how the fullbacks and the wingers combine and, and buddy up together and play off of each other, particularly on the left-hand side last year with Catley and Ford. And I don't think you want to take that away necessarily. So I think the defensive issues at the moment for Arsenal are more to do with, you know, Williamson being injured, Rafa's just gone, you know, there's new players coming in, they don't necessarily know each other yet. You know, the goalkeeper, the centre-backs, are all sort of figuring each other out. They all speak different languages too. So there's a lot of different stuff going on there that they've got to figure out and that'll take a little bit of time. And I think once that's figured out, then it should be fine. I think Jonas Seideval, since he's come in, actually, I think defence and, and the way Arsenal defend is probably one of the things he's gotten right most of the time. I don't know what, what you think about that, but um, so I think it, it's not it's it's not something I would say is is going to suit Arsenal. I think it would make make it more predictable for the opponent and a bit easier for them to defend Arsenal if they went to a back five. That's just my opinion. Um, I think they would probably need to change their style of play. Arsenal, like you, you could you could play a back three, and then have really attacking wing backs and play a really direct game. Then you could have Hurtig and you've got Russo, and you could play. You know, you could have like two target players and runners from midfield. You know, you could do that. I just don't think that's Arsenal style of play. Um, and I think with Arsenal style of play and the right back options they've got right now, I'm not sure about the back five as a, as a long term option. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I I think we might see it, but like. For the vast majority of games, Arsenal just don't need to do that in the WSL. They just don't. Like that really it's you're looking at Chelsea, Manchester City, and even then I think away. And even then, you know, and, and maybe United, but you know, I, I, I kind of tend to agree with you. I still think we're a bit lopsided to the left. I, I do slightly wonder. Like I, I think Arsenal will use it to close games out. That's what they did against Ling Chirping. I asked Jonas about that. They were getting lots of crosses in the box, so here's not not a genius. Well, it was a genius solution in that it worked, but not a complicated solution. He thought, "I'm going to put Jen Beatty on because they're tossing loads of high balls into the box. So I'm going to a back three, have my three centre backs there." And Jonas did that against Man City last season as well, where he switched mid game or mid second half to a back three, and that worked really well. So I think we'll see that. I think possibly Chelsea away, and that might be the only fixture where Arsenal consider it from the start. But I wonder what you think about the way Emma Hayes has kind of done things with Chelsea, where Chelsea slide between a three and a four. And I wonder a little bit whether if you have essentially a back three, but have Catley on the left of that back three, and then you can kind of slide across her to left back, a bit like Magda Eriksson did, and let Katie McCabe go up the line, like, Obviously, Chelsea waited until they've been coached by Emma Hayes for a long time before they started doing stuff like that. Do you think Arsenal would be in a position to consider anything like that? Yeah, definitely down the line. I think that's that's an option. I think, again, the, the thing I say about um, centre-half partnerships and everybody understanding each other, becomes it becomes even more complicated the more defenders you have back there, doesn't it? So I think... Um, I, w- I would say firstly master the four if that's your, if that's if that's Jonas's preference, which I think it is, and then you know then you can start to bring in new ideas. But certainly it's it's an option that you've got. I mean, Catley, it would be a nice way to get Catley and McCabe in the team as well, isn't it? Because you know McCabe personally, I've I've never thought she's at her best playing right wing or something like that. I think she's I think she's a world class left fullback to be honest. I think she's a very good winger attacking mid, but she's a world class uh, fullback. And Catley obviously can play centre half and left back. So if anybody can sort of mix those roles, it's her. So it's definitely an option you could you could bring into play. And just the last one on the defence, because overall, I mean, the reason people are asking about back fives and things like that is because ultimately the truth is Arsenal have lost Hafaeli and Leah Williamson's injured, so they've lost their first choice centre half partnership. I think a lot of people, particularly Arsenal fans, considered that a really really world class partnership and. Just some some overall questions. One from a big mad Mandy at Dedo Park. I agree with people who say Jonas needs to win things. If he wants to keep his job, 
given it's his squad, but I can't see the league happening with the individual quality at centre-back and goalkeeper. And a similar question from PJ at Not Just Arsenal 1. Are you concerned about the defence? I'm confident in the attack and the vision for the midfield, but replacing Lear and Haffer, who in my opinion, their brief time together was the best centre-half pairing in the WSL, feels like too big an obstacle to overcome and look shaky. So essentially, Arsenal are kind of swapping out Leah Williamson and Hafaeli, probably for Illichstedt and Kadena, with Wood and Moy kind of thrown in. Like, you know, would would you share those concerns about even not just the quality, but the time it might take for that to kind of ferment? Yeah, I mean, I think the timing is the big issue. Obviously, Williamson missing is is this massive. No team would be uh, better off, or very few teams would be better off without Leah Williamson. So, I mean, it's I don't know who Arsenal can even sign realistically to replace Leah Williamson. So, um, that's just bad luck. Um, I, I, I like Wilbur Moy, and I, I, I like what I've seen of Kadena. Ilista is a very experienced centre back, so I think that her coming in to replace Raphaela makes a lot of sense. It's more the Williamson injury that's that's the issue. But like I say, there's not an awful lot that can be done about that um, just in recruitment. So, yeah, I mean, I think watching the, the Paris game, the Linchopping game, definitely there were some moments where, you know, obviously conceding three goals against Paris isn't ideal. And naturally that makes you think, well, the defence is a problem. But I, I think, you know, the first goal that Paris scored it was kind of a ball over the top. If anything, it's the pace issue for me at the back now with Arsenal. It's probably without Williamson, Raffaella. I'm not sure if Alistair Codina would be more as quick. So, you know, maybe Zinsberger needs to be a bit more proactive. Maybe Jonas needs to be a bit more uh, pragmatic with dropping the back line back a bit. I don't know, you know, what what the thoughts are there. But um, the second, you know, other than that, you know, the second goal Paris scored is right after the first, and it's it's really a giveaway in possession. So, I don't know if. Um, if it is as, as big of a problem as it seems right now, um, just because, like I say, one of those goals is is a possession thing. It's not even really a defensive issue. So, yeah, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I share those concerns, I think, um, kind of recovery pace. And again, in Leah and Hafaeli, like that's immense recovery pace right there. That's like you can defend on the halfway line. I, I wonder as well, Blair. There's, uh, there, you know, there was something in a <laughs> big Mad Mandy's question, uh, a, a tribute to Illichstedt, actually that uh, that Twitter handle, but about the goalkeepers as well. Um, now Arsenal, they did bid for Mary Earps this summer. Uh, they wanted that to be very quiet, <laughs> in part because I think they're kind of thinking of next summer really more than this summer and probably didn't want to have an awkward conversation with their current goalkeepers about why they're bidding for another one. But next summer, Manu Zinsberger's contract is up, as is Mary Earps. But Arsenal have kind of gone to this model of small rotation between the goalkeepers because they're quite different in Zinsberger and D'Angelo, albeit Zinsberger still gets most of the games. Like, what's, what's your view on Arsenal's goalkeeping situation? Well, I think, I mean, I honestly don't know enough enough about D'Angelo to comment on it, so I, I won't. Zinsberger, I think, is is a really good goalkeeper. I wouldn't say she's, you know, up there with, right now, like Earps and Froms. I think those are sort of the names I would pick out, Enla, you know, when I'm talking about the best in the world. Um, but she's just kind of right underneath that level. Um, and, you know, I think with Zinsberger, historically, she's, you know, she's... A really good. I think she's a good shot stopper. I think one of the issues she's had is more high balls, and every now and then, like with most goalkeepers that have to play out and do that, she sometimes makes the odd mistake playing out. But generally, she's accurate with her distribution. She's quite quick off a line, um, and she makes saves. So I like her a lot. Um, I think Erps would be a good sign. It's, it's a different type of goalkeeper. She's not as quick off a line. Um, she's more rooted to a line, but she's a great one of the best shot stoppers in the business. Um, and I think she's become more and more confident over the last two years. I think she looks sharper and more confident. Actually, since England made a number one, since Serena Wiegmann made a number one goalkeeper, she seems to have just sort of ran with that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Oops would be an upgrade, to be honest, but I don't think it's an area... I wouldn't say it's an area of priority right now. I think Zinsberger is absolutely fine and even if you couldn't sign up I'd, I'd still be fine with Zensberger Yeah I, I actually view it as quite similar to Chelsea's situation in that in Anne Catherine Berger they've got 
one of the best, like what you'd call old-fashioned goalkeepers, keeping the ball out of the net. Perhaps not great at playing out. And then Musevic, I think, I think she's still got a bit of a rick in her, um, as she kind of showed in the Spain game this week. But really, really good at playing out. And I, I almost feel like Arsenal and Chelsea have got a situation where if you could meld the goalkeepers together into one goalkeeper, because D'Angelo is essentially the opposite of Sinsberger in that she's great at like taking the ball above her head, much better long distribution, long throwing, whereas Sinsberg is much more patient. And I, I guess just before we go to the break, I mean, just your view on in terms of having like a rotation situation with the goalkeepers, do you think it's kind of sensible to have two different goalkeepers that you can match to different opponents or are you more of the school that like your number one should be your number one? Yeah, I'm probably more old school, like number one is number one. Um, I think goalkeeper is one of those possessions which is quite risky to rotate because you're, you're keeping goals out of the net. You know what I mean? So you start to introduce uncertainty there. It's probably the last place I would want to do that. Um, and I think also the tactical upside or the, you know, the, the risk reward of like bringing in a goalkeeper because her long passing is a bit more accurate. I just don't know if that's worth it necessarily. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I would just play the one that's the most informed or the best. So that, yeah, I'm, I'm probably a bit more old school in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And look, Chelsea this season, they've got about five goalkeepers they can rotate if they really want to. So um, we'll see how that pans out. But we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with more of your questions on overall expectations, um, as well as some questions on Vivian Miedema and Gio uh, right after this. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, we're back. Um, I'm back still uh, joined by Blair Newman um, with more of your questions. And like I said, just before the break, we've got some on overall expectations. Like I said at the top, I think having gone out of the Champions League, like Arsenal have a potential advantage over Chelsea, particularly in the second half of the season. Um, some questions on Gio Kiros as well, um, and some questions on Vivian Miedema, as well as a, quite a meaty question at the end. But Blair, just on overall expectations, um, we've got a couple of questions here. One from Adrian uh, Delory, who's at Aidan Aus. Um, without the Champions League this season and after the signings that have been made, is it as simple as we have to win the WSL or is Jonas's position untenable? And one from KP, who's at KPunge15. After the disappointment of it, will being out of Europe this season be a blessing in disguise for the domestic campaign? So just to really tee this question up, Blair, Jonas has one year left on his contract. And something I think is really interesting is so do Mark Skinner and Gareth Taylor. And it seems very unlikely to me that all three of those guys are going to be in position next season because one of them is going to have a bad season. Do you think, first of all, how much of an advantage actually is going out of the Champions League? And second of all, you know, in terms of Jonas, should we say, earning a new contract, what do you think Arsenal really have to do this season? Do you think it's as simple as you have to win the league now? Well, I think um, definitely they need to to challenge for the title. I think if we're being honest, if, if Arsenal are third again at the end of this season, and uh, you know, not even within a win or two of Chelsea, there's going to be some hard conversations about Jonas Eideval's contract. 
um, because it's his third season. You know, his first season was, I think, come in, make improvements, change the style of play a little bit. You know, second season, he started to recruit and, you know, the team looks a bit more like his. And again, another summer window, he's got some more recruitment in and, and probably the lineup will look a lot more like his lineup now this season. So I think um, between the time he's had in charge and the recruitment that he's been able to do, I think that now there has to be some expectation with the league, whether they were in the Champions League or not. The fact that they aren't in the Champions League, like you say, just adds to the pressure to really try and challenge Chelsea because Chelsea's squad, I mean, the really annoying thing from an Arsenal perspective, I suppose, is that Chelsea's squad is probably stronger than it's been even since, you know, over the last few years, which so it's frustrating in that sense. But if you're Jonas Eideval and you're talking to the players and you're trying to sell the mission for the season ahead, especially without Europe, you've got to say, well, that's just two games. You know, you play Chelsea home and away and that's it, there's six points. There's 20 other matches that we're probably going to be favourites or you know, dead level with Man City. Um, and we've got to try and win those because 20 games is 60 points. That wins you the league. So I think, you know, if you were trying to be positive, that's the way you would try and spin it. And I think, to be honest, that's a realistic ambition as well. I mean, I know Man City might be tricky, but I'm not Gareth Taylor's, you know, biggest acolyte. I don't think he's done a particularly good job uh, with the resources he's got. Uh, not sure he'll do a better job this season. Manchester United have just lost Russell. And they've just lost on a battler. So I find it hard to imagine they'll be in a better position this season than they were last. Um, so I feel like Arsenal, you know, squad-wise are in a pretty decent position. And I think without Europe, you know, the League Cup you mentioned earlier, yes, there's the fixtures, but Jonas gets the chance probably to use his squad to rotate a little bit more in those games, maybe use younger players and give them experience, which is then a good thing for the League campaign down the line. So I, I don't think... Um, I don't think going out of the Champions League is an issue in terms of the physical side of it or anything like It's probably more the mental side and how Jonas reacts to it and how the squad reacts to it and what's the story now for the season? What, what, what internally are they saying we're really pushing for this season and do they all believe in it as well? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was going to say, actually, um, we, we had a, a question from Domi Cadillo as well and um, it, it was along the same theme, theme about uh, the way he puts it is, is it unrealistic to say we have to win the league when... You know, in the first season, Arsenal came within a point. But then he mentions last season about the injuries. Now, the feeling very much in the Arsenal fan base is that Arsenal almost kind of got a pass for not really properly competing for the league last year because of the injuries. I thought what you said about Chelsea there was really interesting because the frustration for me, I thought Chelsea were there for the taking last season. Um, when they didn't get the midfielder they wanted, they got injuries. I felt like that was that was like Chelsea's weak point, perhaps. Um, but it came at a time when Arsenal were decimated by injuries and they couldn't capitalise on that. Again, where did you kind of put the fault lines last season in terms of Arsenal's injury? Like, how much of a, an excuse slash caveat uh, do you think the injury situation was for not really uh, challenging for the title last year? I think it definitely had an impact, didn't it? But... I also think there was games Arsenal could have won. I mean, West Ham away for me was one that stands out in my mind even now because I remember watching that game and this felt like it could have gone on for a couple of hours and Arsenal wouldn't have scored. And so I think there were definitely missed opportunities as well. Um, you know, and I think as a, if you, from an Arsenal perspective, there's a frustration as well of because injuries has been used before. Do you know what I mean? Injuries has been a problem before. And I think eventually either the club needs to sort that or to stop using it as a reason, um, uh, you know. So either you, you know there's a bigger squad, which means there's you know more rotation or more depth when there is injuries, or you, you change your training method or something so that there's less, in, so you're managing players so they're not getting injured as much. But th there's solutions to this, you know what I mean? So I just feel like it's it's not really a valid excuse for finishing third. It's maybe an excuse for not winning the league, um, mm. but I think you know to end up in the Champions League qualies is is a different thing. Yeah, yeah. And and I think the feeling very much and the feeling that's coming through from the questions is that is really a one season only pass. And that if that happens again, obviously, you start to look at how much the club are at fault um, for that as well. And and yeah, and, and I think there were recruitment failures as well, which, um, which Jonas talked about, like if Arsenal had been able to bring in either Russo or Chloe Lacasse in January, um, I think games like that West Ham game probably don't finish nil nil. 
um, and different things kind of happen. You, you referenced there as well, obviously, like Arsenal not being in the Champions League group stage, it means they're in the Conti Cup group stage. And I do think Arsenal <laughs> can make use of this, particularly with the young players they have. And we've got a couple of questions on Gio. Now, Gio, um, there were loan options explored. One, I believe, was Tottenham. Um, which fell through earlier in the summer. The second one was more widely reported as Atletico Madrid. That fell through. I don't honestly know why they fell through, um, but they did. And so we've got a question, one from uh, Roos, who's at Roos SCH91. Gia was meant to go on loan again. Um, where do you see her role now she's staying? And again, from Domi Cadiwo at Dando MK. How how will Gio staying affect her much-needed game time? So this was a player Arsenal really wanted out on loan. They've got four or five wingers in the squad. How do you see this season going for her? Um, and I guess how much do you think that would dictate her success or otherwise at Arsenal? Well, I think I don't see Gio as having a realistic route into the starting lineup at the moment because she went out on loan to Everton last season and didn't play an awful lot. So it's difficult then to make a case for her to come in at Arsenal and start. And when you look at the fact that you've just added Chloe Lacasse, uh, Hurtig is coming into her second season. She'll want to make more of an impact, and I think she can. You know, Beth Mead will come back from injury at some point. Caitlin Ford is in the form of her life. You know, Katie McCabe can play there. You've just signed Russo. She might end up playing maybe off of the striker or on one of the wings when Black Stenius or when Miedema comes back. You know, there's other players like Cool who can play in the attacking and the field positions as well. I think it's really difficult to see just how Gio gets in there other than just taking every single opportunity she gets. Um, and, you know, maybe this is where the League Cup becomes an opportunity for someone like her. But it is difficult to see, you know, how she navigates her way into the team. I think a long move would have been would have been a good idea. She seems to have done quite well in Spain before, so maybe Atletico would have been a good move for her. Um, but yeah, that, you probably know her as a player better than I do. But just from what I've seen and, and the fact that she's not getting into the Everton team last season and she hasn't made an impact so far at Arsenal, now it's going to be a more intense competition. It does seem like a really uh, uphill task for her this season to get in. Yeah, and it, it felt like she's immensely talented. Like I saw a bit of her at Levante and the numbers she put up at Levante. And Levante, I think, is exactly the sort of team that um, an 18-year-old player should be at because I think they're one of the best developers of talent in the women's game. But, you know, I, I mean, she had an injury at Everton last season and that restricted things for her a bit. I don't think Arsenal should have taken her back for the second half of the season. I think she should have maybe gone somewhere else on loan. I, I don't think that was great for her. She's completely fallen off the map in terms of Brazil selection. Um, she's apparently nowhere near that at the moment, even when they get injuries. So it, it does feel like things are going in the wrong direction for her. Um, and I, I kind of agree. I worry a bit. I think, like, how is this season going to solve that issue for her? Because beyond the Conti Cup games... It is difficult to see a route in for her. I'll be really interested to see that. I wouldn't be surprised if she plays the Conti Cup games and goes out on loan in January um, for the second half of the season. But yeah, I, I know Arsenal wanted her um, out on loan. I know they were fond of the Tottenham option because it means she doesn't have to move and things like that. But I, I don't really know why that fell through. Um, another question that I think has been on a lot of Arsenal fans' minds um, over the last kind of, well, year or so, really, is about the reintroduction of Vivian Miedema, who under Idaval has been recast as an attacking midfielder. But since she's been out, Frida Mornham has really made that position her own. Player of the season, got her new contract, but Viv is going to come back and got a couple of questions on it. One from China Do, who's at uh, DeBigKahuna underscore. How do you see Viv's return playing out? And at uh, 07 Quad, um, and their Twitter handle is just a green pistol. <laughs> uh, Island fan as well. Uh, what do you think Viv's return will look like? Obviously, her fitness is the biggest factor, but we're well stopped in the position she can play, and she doesn't seem to be a Jonasy player. What, what's your view, just your overall view, first of all, on Miedema kind of coming back into that deeper role and how that might look now that Freedom Mornham has, has really stamped her authority on that role? 
Yeah, I mean, the first thing is meet them as physical and mental health. So, you know, assuming she can get back to a place where she feels she plays her best, um, then, then that, that's the first step. The second step is how does she get into the team now? Because as you say, Mornham has stamped a mark on that position. I mean, I really like Frida Mornham and I think she is a very unique kind of player as well. I don't think there's a lot of attacking midfielders like her in women's football, you know, with her physicality, with her shooting threat. Um, I think she's a clever runner as well, off of a striker. Um, so in that sense, apart from the long shooting, she's kind of very different to Miedema. Miedema is a more creative player. She's a more individualistic player. Um, to be honest, Tim, I mean, when she got moved into attacking midfield, it was at a time, I remember watching Arsenal, I think, what was it, during Jonas's first season when yeah. the, she started to move very deep, even when she was playing up front. I think it was a game against Birmingham away when I remember watching it and Arsenal, again, Arsenal just couldn't score. And I remember thinking, Miedema is so deep here, she's almost in Arsenal's half. And I'm thinking, if I've got Miedema in my team, I just want her around the box because you just get the ball to her and she's going to score goals because she's left-footed, right-footed. You know, she can find, create a shot from, from nothing. She's a threat in the air. I want her in the box and around the box as much as possible. I really don't want her in midfield, um, even if her passing range is, is you know, is, is a good passing range. So I never quite got that move. I think Minima back to goal, you know, one of the things is she likes to take a lot of touches. So she's not somebody who's going to come back, lay it off, go again. You know, she likes to get on it, take touches. And sometimes when she's under real physical pressure, she doesn't get the time and the space that she needs. So firstly, I'm not a big fan of her in attacking midfield. I know that there's there's opportunities that she can, you know, there's games she can play there and it's not a problem, but I just don't think that's where she's at best. Um, the next point is you know, would she play up front because Russo has come in and I'm sure we'll get on to talking about her more in a bit but between Russo and Blackstenius who's really well covered up front as well so it's it's a good headache for Arsenal to have do you know what I mean to have Miedema coming back you know previously one of the best strikers in the world on a day and decide you know, how do we use this player um, probably it's more it's more for Jonas in terms of management skills now you know, how do you, um, again, sell to Frida Mornham playing in a deeper role when she's played really well, advanced, or rotating in and out when she's been a starter and a star player? Or, you know, how do you sell it to Miedema to be on the bench and coming off? You know, because this is a player who not long ago was linked with Barcelona. She's not really going to want to be... Maybe, well, maybe she is. I don't know. I don't want to make assumptions. Maybe she's okay being... Maybe she's okay being a rotation player. You know, not every person's ultra-ambitious all of the time. So... But it's just more of a management thing that for Idaval because you know, there's no problem in having four or five really good attacking options. I mean, this is what a lot of the top women's teams have, but it's just a case of managing them through a season. Yeah, I I think um, well, let's talk about the striker situation because I think you know um, the question there from zero seven quad saying that Medem is not a very Jonasy player. I, I think that's absolutely right, and I think the thing is with Medema, I mean, she's so good that she's kind of anyone's player, but at the same time, she isn't really a Jonasy player. And look at the... He's bought Black Stenius and Russo. That shows you what he wants from a striker. And that Birmingham game you reference, I think that's really, really key. I mean, the Black Stenius signing was in train by then, but I think that's really key. He wants his number nine up front, running channels, moving bodies, challenging for headers, holding the ball up. Like, he wants quite a traditional option, there, I think, and I don't think Meadham is it. I don't even think that Meadham is his... I think Mornham is exactly what he wants from mm. that position. He wants power and, and all of that. But but Meadham is so good that she can fit into any team. I, I wouldn't mind... This is just... I'm completely speculating. I wouldn't mind betting that this might be Meadham's last season at Arsenal for those reasons. And, you know, she's been... She'll have been there seven years. Maybe she fancies something else. I, I don't really know, but I... I do feel like it's coming to a bit of a natural end. But you mentioned Alessia Russo there. What did you make of that signing? And were you, again, from an external point of view, we're Arsenal fans. Of course, we understand why someone leaves Manchester United for Arsenal. Arsenal's the best club and everything like that. But what what did you make of that move? First of all, from just like a, a, an overall transfer perspective, but also in terms of Jonas's team. Yeah, I think you, you mentioned it just there. Russo is <clears throat> more of a traditional number nine. <clears throat> Pardon me. I mean, she's really, really strong in the air. Um, you know, and, and to the point where, you know, 
I look at strikers and you look at the movement in the box and I was comparing Russo and Rachel Daly early this year before the World Cup. And Rachel Daly is someone who's really proactive in a movement in the box. Russo is someone who just gets in there and just beats defenders. She doesn't need to really move. You just put the cross in and she'll, she, she'll probably get there because she's going to outmuscle the defender. You know, she's one of the only strikers I've seen bully Irin Paredes. Um, like you know, when England played Spain in the Euros last year, it, you know, Russo won that, that knockdown for Everton to score the equaliser. Paredes was left lying on the floor. Russo is a really physical centre-forward. She's also a very creative centre-forward. So, I mean, she's kind of similar to me in, in one sense in that they can shoot from outside the box and they can make a shot for themselves. They can score a goal from not much, um, which is a nice threat to have. I think the, the difference between Russo and Blackstenius is Blackstenius, I think, is much more comfortable facing play and facing goal and running the channels and running the space behind. And she wants the ball to come earlier. The, you know, the earlier you play the ball up to her, the better, because there's going to be space, more space for her to attack into. Russo, I think, is not so much bothered about how early the ball comes. You know, she'll come and get involved and build up play. She can hold off a defender, I think, a lot better than Blackstenius can. I think her touch is a lot more sure under pressure than Blackstenius is. So you can just fire the ball into Russo and you trust that it's going to stick. You know, she can play off to runners and you can build it from there. Or she can turn and feed um, a Hurtig or a Mead or whoever's on the wing. So I think she brings more in build-up play than Black Stenius. Um, and I think she's an aerial threat like very few others. And I think she can shoot from outside the box like Mead and McCann, or roughly like Mead and McCann. So I think she's going to be the starting number nine this season, Tim. Um, and then it's just a question, you know, Black Stenius will probably, and to be honest, it might suit Black Stenius because she can then come on against tired defences, can't she, and maybe maybe run them. Yeah, definitely. And something Jonas talked about a lot in his first season, we didn't see it because of injuries last season, but he talked about wanting to sub that front three because he asks so much from them physically that he wants three of his five substitutions will almost always be, I think, that front three. And you, I, I wanted to ask you a question about Lena Hurtig as well, because you mentioned her earlier. And, and, you know, I said I wanted to get you on for that kind of more external perspective, because I think Lena Hurtig has had a bit of a hard time from Arsenal. Not not directly, personally, but like a lot of the talk about Hurtig last season, I think was quite ungenerous, given that she barely played due to injury. I mean, you referenced how good Russo is in the air. Nearly every player that Jonas Eideval buys is good in the air. <laughs> so, like, I'd expect Arsenal to score from a lot of set pieces next season. And, and Hertig is one of the best around at that. How do you, you know, perhaps from having watched her for, for Sweden and etc., like, ha- how much of a kind of contribution do you think Arsenal can expect from her this season if she's actually fit this time? Well, I think I believe that Hertig is, a, again, a really good option for Arsenal to have. I don't think she starts ahead of Mead and Ford, but I think she can make an impact, definitely, and she can score goals. I think sometimes these players get mischaracterised because I think she's playing on a wing and people think she's going to be beating people and doing stepovers and crossing, blah, blah, blah. And that's just not who she is. I first watched her and she first, well, she first came to my attention when she was playing for Juventus in the Champions League. And... You know, Juventus had a very specific style of play, you know, hit Girelli, get runners off of her. Hurtig's a runner, you know what I mean? So she's, she's, she's a runner just from wide. And actually a lot of Swedish forwards are like that. You know, Sofia Jacobson's like that. You know, Fridolina Rolfo is a little bit like that. They're not tricksters. You know, they're people that want to hit the space. They want to get into the box. They want to score goals. You need to supply them. Um, she's a great aerial threat. I think she's five foot ten, or maybe slightly over that. Um, so she's a, a really powerful aerial threat. Um, as you say, Jonas, you know, he's, he's signed Dillister as well. You know, you've got Kenny Cross delivering, McCabe delivering. I mean, set pieces are definitely going to be an opportunity for Arsenal this season. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just think with Hurtig, it's just, the, it's just playing to her strengths, you know, getting her into positions where she can be dangerous, which is hitting the penalty area. You know, hitting it late, hitting the back post. You know, no fullback is going to want to defend Hurtig at the back post. Yeah, and we saw her score in exactly that fashion against Ling Chirping. Um, recently and and Blair just a a, a final question really we've talked a lot about like the expectations the pressure what Arsenal should do etc going to ask you for your prediction on what the WSL top three looks like next season and don't don't feel like you have to say Arsenal are going to (laughs) win I think I'd probably go Chelsea Arsenal and then Manchester City boring but I think that's just the way it's going to play out 
because I think Man U, you know, losing a bit of talent. I'm not sure Mark Skinner can 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 push them on. Man City have got the talent, but I don't think they've got the manager. I think Arsenal are in a pretty good place squad wise, and I, you know Jonas is now in the third season. And, and, and to be honest, you know his first season was was good. His second season, okay, the league was a bit of a blip, but there was a Champions League win and a League Cup win. It's not the end of the world. This is his defining season, so I think there has to be a title challenge, and I think Arsenal can do it, especially as you say, Chelsea. Could got could well get distracted in Europe, so I think it's definitely within reach for Arsenal to to push Chelsea this season. Yeah, I I, I agree, and I think that has to be the expectation. And I think I don't I don't think anyone should shy away from that. I think that has been the expectation of Arsenal for the last thirty odd seasons, and it should be again this season. Um, I just want to say before we say goodbye, uh, we had a question from Clive Bunting at Clive Bunting about um, the kind of lack of diversity in the Arsenal squad, uh, particularly racial diversity. I, I don't want to duck that question. I'd like to do a separate podcast on that, if possible, at some point. Also, I, I don't think um, two white blokes are probably best positioned um, to talk about that. But I do think that's a that's a meaty issue and one I, I kind of do want to meet on in a in in another podcast, um, perhaps with a with another kind of cast. But Blair, thanks so much uh, for joining us and for your insight as always. Oh, thanks for thanks for me on, sir. Pleasure. Like I said at the top, you can and should follow Blair on Twitter at The Second Ball, uh, where he does uh, lots of articles, lots of kind of scouting reports and analysis and just really, really kind of second to none knowledge of, uh, of women's football around the world, it should be said, not just the WSL, not just Europe either. Um, so really thanks to Blair for coming on. Really thanks for all of your questions as well. We'll come back with another podcast in a couple of weeks, perhaps after the first two games of the season. Arsenal start at home to Liverpool on Sunday at Emirates Stadium, where 50,000 tickets are currently sold. And then they have the small matter of a trip to Manchester United next Friday. And we'll probably do a podcast after that. But until then, thanks so much for joining us. And we'll speak to you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.